Welcome back. It's a simple question, but perhaps one we don't wrestle with on a regular basis. Why should someone obey God? We're in the midst of this discussion right now and talking about the difference between ritualistic superstitions and real obedience. Here's George. So we're talking about ridiculous superstitions that we, even as Christians, might have. And, and I finished by saying that it, these are really no different than a rabbit's foot or a good luck charm. And, and there are many others. Some Roman Catholics believe burying a statue of St. Joseph upside down in the yard will help you to sell your home. Protestants call this silly and superstitious. And then they turn around and require that all prayers end with the phrase, in Jesus' name, or else God won't hear the prayer. Or they won't put a 13th floor in a building or move to a home with an address of 666. Years ago, I had a phone number where the exchange was 666. And I was stunned at how many people, Christian and otherwise, said I needed to get it changed immediately or bad things would happen to me. I didn't change it. Nothing bad happened. I wasn't surprised. With a little reflection, you can probably think of any number of similar superstitions that we all accept as a matter of course in church and in Christian life. These are attempts to control God or our environment by magical thinking. They are not a part of the faith. This addresses the error of trying to control God. But what about the other reason we often obey? Pleasing God. Unfortunately, this is commonly the obverse of the same coin. We're not doing ritual or superstition, but we regulate our behavior and even our freedom in the hope that our actions will meet with divine approval and favor. We will please him, and then he will like us. This kind of pleasing God has more in common with the behavior of an abused child, trying to curry parental favor and avoid injury, than it does with giving a gift for the sheer joy of giving pleasure to God or to another person. Love characterizes the latter. Fear characterizes the former. Anything given or done out of fear is an attempt to control or restrain. The key reason for true obedience isn't trying to control God, but to deepen our loving relationship with him. As we become more responsive to him, more and more we move as he moves. As we move with him, we know him better and better. There are exceptions, but obedience to God is less like a soldier carrying out orders from on high and more like a dance where he leads and we follow. Now, this is not to say that we should never be following rules. Quite the contrary. There are benefits to obeying rules. And we live in a society where we follow more or less what is known as the social contract. 
That is, we have rules of behavior that we enforce through law and peer pressure. It is a useful, if limited, approach to making life safe and meaningful and productive. But because we have individual autonomy, we make decisions on our own. Some will carefully follow the rules, others will readily violate the rules, and still others will interpret and use the rules to their own ends, right? Now, this is a pretty unexceptional observation. In the secular culture, obedience to rules is how we receive approval, and punishment is how we control those who will not willingly comply. We are approved based on the measure of our conformance to the rules. This is equally true in Christian churches and in all religions. We do things a certain way because the leaders and tradition tell us to. And if we don't, we are politely ignored, marginalized, shunned, talked about, berated, or put out. When we conform, we receive approval and acceptance. When we don't, it's disapproval and rejection. Countries, cities, tribes, social organizations, religions, cultures, gangs, families, and institutions of all kinds use this to define who they are and to enforce that definition on members. Again, this is a pretty unexceptional observation. But what I'd like to do is examine rules and the way we humans use them in the light of the biblical wisdom on the subject of rules. Some of Scripture follows the approval-rejection model, but some of it is of another order altogether, transcendence. Hang in there while I take what I think will prove an interesting journey through science fiction and mathematics for a scriptural insight on this. And we begin with the three laws of robotics. Now, I'm fascinated by the fact that much of what science fiction has learned and understood in recent centuries was long anticipated in Scripture. I'm speaking of the thoughtful and careful efforts to understand how the universe works and our place in it as human beings. This has been the life work of many bright and dedicated scientists and science authors, something commanded by God, by the way, in Genesis 1, 26 through 29. You can go look yourself. So let me illustrate some of what I'm talking about, how science and even science fiction are now discovering something that we were long ago taught in Scripture. The 2004 movie, I, Robot, is based loosely on a collection of stories that Isaac Asimov, a science fiction writer, wrote between 1940 and 1950. These stories incorporate what Asimov called the three laws of robotics. They are simple rules that are hardwired into the brains of all robots that serve human beings. These three rules are, number one, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. 
two. A robot must obey orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Those are the three laws of robotics. I think they're quite clever. And generations of sci-fi writers and readers have dwelt on the logical rigor and completeness of these three laws. In the movie iRobot, a supercomputer recognizes how difficult it is for robots to obey these laws because humans are so disobedient, so problematic, and so autonomous. Humans make it impossible for robots to fulfill the three laws perfectly, so the supercomputer reinterprets the laws to mean that the only ways humans can be kept from harm is by the robots ruling them instead of serving them. And that's the premise of the film. This is not a new idea. Countless public servants have become tyrants by this same logic. We could surely name many today all over the planet. In essence, the attempt to make rules, no matter how simple or clearly stated, will fail in application. If you're anything like me, when you first heard those three rules, you thought, wow, this is logical and complete. What a good solution. But in application, the rules failed. They are not sufficient. They are incomplete for the task. Rules have utility within certain limitations, but cannot be applied mechanically to everything everywhere. This is the reason Jesus criticizes the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They thought by rigorous application of the rules, everything could be kept in good order. And these leaders were profoundly wrong. For one thing, rules lack comprehension of present circumstances, and they lack heart, especially when they are applied without love. Jesus and all the New Testament authors understand this, and they work diligently to show us that truth. Rules aren't good for humans if applied without love. Even the judicial system understands this in a limited way. It expresses the importance of understanding not just the letter of the law, but also the spirit of the law. That is, not just the literal meaning of the words, but the intent of those who wrote the law. Those people who we like least are those who insist on applying the letter of the law against us without any care for the spirit of the law. It is also the reason why zero tolerance is unbiblical and a fundamentally and horribly flawed notion of rule enforcement. Thanks, George. Well, I, for one, didn't expect to learn about robots today. Of course, more accurately, we're learning about obedience and how to frame obedience to God in a much more vibrant way. If you'd like your own copy of the book, it's available at whatwebelieveandwhy.com. We hope you'll join us again. <music>